Welcome, everyone. It's great to see you. Welcome to this month's uh, Heal the Divide Podinar series, the hidden work of the hidden world of empathy work, creating the condition for healthy empathy. And I'm super excited to be with you and, and my guest, Carla McLaren, who I'll give a proper introduction to in just a moment. Our mission here at Learning in Action is to heal the divide. And the way that we think about that is if we can heal the ways in which we're divided from ourselves. And sometimes our emotions are the fingers that point to the ways in which we can be divided from ourselves and our emotions can be wayfinders. And so, um, yeah, and if we can heal the ways we're divided from ourselves and we can begin to heal the ways we're divided from others. That's our work. What the heck is a podinar? It's a cross between a podcast and a webinar. We try to make an interview style like a podcast, but interactive. Uh, so you get to be here and chat with us. Our intention for today is Carla and I are going to talk about how what empathy is, how empathy works, and how to work with it. We're going to talk about these six essential aspects of empathy. We'll talk about emotion work, and we'll go through an emotion work inventory, and we'll talk about what's nourishing emotionally and what's draining emotionally and what's the difference, and we'll talk about what it means to meet your client where they are. So with that, uh, I'm super happy to introduce Carla McLaren. She's an award-winning author, educator, and social science researcher, empathy expert, and workplace consultant. And she talks about emotions. I've been reading her book, A Power of Emotions at Work, and uh, she talks about emotions in ways I don't hear anyone else talk about, particularly in a workplace. She puts, she takes all this thing we talk about in coaching one-on-one -on -one and she puts it in a workplace um, in ways I haven't heard anyone else talk about. And, and I'm excited to, to get into that. Her, her applied work, Dynamic Emotional Integration, is a groundbreaking process that reveals the genius and healing power within the emotional realm. She's the author of many books, including The Power of Emotions at Work and The Language of Emotions, is, and is the developer of the online learning site, empathyacademy.org. Without further ado, hi, Carla. Hello. Hi, Allison, and welcome to everyone. Welcome to Northern California. It is not on fire today. <laughs> today. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you're not burning. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome. You know, I, I'd love to start, Carla, by hearing a little bit about what, like, of all the things you could be doing in the world, you're you're doing this. You're, you, I see the theme of emotions throughout whatever I see you write and teach about. Can what what what's in this for you? I feel so fortunate that the emotions uh, came and hit me over the head and and made me be their friend. Um, I I came into this work with emotions and uh, empathy through a difficult childhood where I experienced a lot of abuse and. 
for a lot of children who are abused young, they develop what is called hyper empathy, where they learn to read the heck out of people as a survival technique. But because I didn't know how I turned it on, I didn't know how to turn it off. And so for me, the experience of emotions, my own and others, was oceanic. It was incredible and intense and, you know, disorienting. And so for me, working with emotions wasn't sort of a, you know, I had an afternoon and I thought, let me think about some emotions right now. <laughs> it was more, um, I need to understand these or I'm going under. And that was my first thing, you know, sort of turning toward the emotions and yelling, what do you want? And them saying, come and talk to us for a minute, because we got a lot of things to say. <laughs> so that has been my life since childhood, is understanding the emotions from the emotions point of view. So using my empathy, which is your capacity to engage and relate on emotions themselves. Um, wow. So I hear you say, talking about being empathetic toward your own emotions. Wow. Yeah. And, and working with the emotions is very different than the way that most of us are taught, which is to work at emotions, to manage emotions, to control emotions, to act without much thought and become a puppet of emotions, right? We don't really have a relationship with emotions. We have them, but we sort of, you know, don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Well, I know it's hard because you've written books and books and taught so many courses on this, but if you could boil down what you've learned, you know, personally from this work uh, in a few in a few sentences, how, what would it be? Many people think that emotions are the trouble, but emotions come to help us deal with the trouble. And if we can learn their language, we can change our lives and then change the world. Mm. That feels that feels right and real and powerful. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you so a couple of things, you know, we the theme that we crafted for today was really very much around empathy and empathy work, and which is the work of everyone who's listening to this. Well, I mean, all I, I, not to um, stereotype anyone, but for the most part, what this audience is about is we do empathy work with clients, we do empathy work in the world, and what I what I learned as I listened to and read the questions that people registered, it, it was much about it, how do I get my client to do this? <laughs> so, we, so, so we may be kind of going back and forth and talking about both like the work of the coach and uh, as, as the coach and how to support the, the coach in um, being empathetic toward themselves or, and, or, recognizing when they're doing empathy work well we may also you know go into the questions of like you know how do i get my client to be empathetic so um yeah so with that as a backdrop what how do you define empathy it seems like it's defined so many ways by so yeah. many people how do you define it and you know what's why is it important 
When I wrote my book, The Art of Empathy, I particularly called it art because it is not yet a science. People do not understand what empathy is. They're fighting about it. It makes me laugh to think of empathy researchers fighting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more empathic. (laughs) It's ironic. (laughs) Um, So what I did was I kind of dove into the empathy research as a hyper empath, because most people were talking about empathy are not hyper empaths. They don't have a facility in the area of sort of extreme empathy, right? So they're, they're kind of talking about things they don't completely understand themselves. So I created a a, a definition of empathy that encapsulated everything that empathy seems to be. I also created a model that could be used by people with hyper empathy like me to help them cool it down a bit. And for people who have hypo empathy, at least with humans. So they need to sort of bring up their empathy so that they can more easily engage. And some people need to bring it down so that they can. So what we're looking for is a sweet spot. And I wanted a model that could incorporate everyone and everybody's experience of empathy, which was like, why don't you just do something really difficult? (laughs) Why don't you give yourself a really difficult thing to do? So that's what I did. And I created the six essential aspects of empathy model so that people, so empathy is not some like, oh, empathy is niceness. Empathy is understanding people. Um. I've had people say to me, Carla, you can't be an empath because you swear. <laughs> and I <laughs> that cuts out a lot of us. The frack you say, <laughs> because that is not how that really empathy is about being nice, always meeting the needs of others, having no internal life. Right. It's being sort of a um an emotional. Mm, translator for the needs of others yeah and for many people who are hyper empathic they just burn out and there's something called empathic fatigue and empathic burnout so that's something to be aware of that there's a lot of niceness um expected in empathy so that if i was going to say to you empathically you know this behavior that we talked about that was troubling you're doing it now (laughs) that's empathic if we want to actually have a relationship with people um so if we can go to the slide where i have the definition of empathy it's called what is empathy And I can read this, empathy is a social and emotional skill that helps you feel and understand the emotions, circumstances, thoughts, and needs of others, such that you can offer sensitive, perceptive, and appropriate communication and support. And the, in, in the empathy research, the fight is in that, so that phrase, so that you can offer. <clears throat> Many people who look at empathy consider it only the capacity to uptake emotion from other people or the environment. And in that group of people, there are people who say that empathy is therefore dysfunctional. 
because they call empathy, emotions are pain, therefore empathy makes you more in, you know, more susceptible to pain. So you want to don't do empathy, do compassion instead. So the reason I included the so that phrase is because if empathy is just pulling emotion in and you have no practice for most of those emotions, then empathy will be pain, yeah. right? It I will think, be. I, I feel like you summarized like at least my takeaway from Paul Bloom's book Against Empathy. Right. So there is a book, you know, it's called Against Empathy by Paul Bloom. And it's kind of like what you said. It's like emotions are pain and and we are gluttons for punishment if we're empathetic. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so just do the compassion part instead, which feels uh, felt to me a whole lot like sympathy more than it did compassion because it was disconnected from empathy. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I look at compassion as kind of a non-directed, non, um, non-engaged form of concern for others. You just sort of, I care about everyone. Um, and I grew up in a compassion group. And I found it so incredibly lonely when I was in pain mm. to have someone doing compassion at me. Mm. You know, in the, in the general room, it's like, I'm doing compassion at the couch. There's Carla. There's the house plant. It's all, you know, apart. I was like, I am Carla having this issue. And I would like to speak to another human being, please. Uh, <laughs> Could you find one? <laughs> you know, you're saying something really important here, uh, um, or that, that's really resonating with me, I should say, is that, like, so we have an instrument that measures empathy, compassion, and and sometimes it can be it can reveal that someone's highly empathetic, uh, empathetic and compassionate. But they they when you ask someone like sometimes they're doing it in their head, like it, they're they're not actually feeling it in their body. They can they're they're doing it in their head. And I sense that's what you're talking about. It's like I can do compassion in my head. Yeah, and that's really sympathy or compassion too, is feeling for someone rather than feeling with them. Yeah. And with empathy, you can get right into it and feel with them. You have to have some some big skills if you empathize, because otherwise you're just gonna be um enmeshing. Yeah. Right? That would be helpful. Yeah, and you have to be boundaried. I can't wait to hear how you're yeah. you suggest to be boundaried for the hyper empathetic. Yeah. So the second part of that empathy definition, which is so that you can offer appropriate and perceptive communication and support is so important because that is where the, the, the actual work of empathy happens so that you're not sitting around like Paul Bloom thinking of ways to be against empathy, right? <clears throat> now I've talked to Paul, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, he's, he's hilarious. And, um, what I have learned about him is that he suffers, and I don't use this word very often in regard to emotions, but he suffers with a pretty severe anxiety disorder. And so for him, emotions are pain. For him, that is absolutely true. And for him, that is that is the reality. So, you know, sometimes I go, oh, Paul, but then I, <laughs> I remember what's going on in his own life. Mm -hmm. And so for him, that's a really important thing to say. Empathy is not cool.
Because if you're dealing with that much emotional activation, you're full. Okay, you yeah. gave it the office. You do not have space. You don't, the- right? So, but we support we support Paul. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. support you, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> Brian has a criticism of the term hyper empath uh, as a "you're too sensitive" minimizing trope. Um, I have called it hyper empath. Brian, and thank you for bringing that up, because there used to be, and I was a part of this world, the idea that empathy is a a psychic or paranormal skill or some metaphysical skill. So an empath was some special kind of person, and then everybody else wasn't an empath. And I had a very strong um, um, reaction against that and I tried to do my work within the new age community that I was in at the time and try to normalize empathy but there was still this idea that an hyper empath like me was a special kind of person and so I really separated that word empath it's like a person is and I I even say hyper empathic not hyper empath Uh, I sometimes switch and I do it wrong but to say a hyper-empathic person, an empathic person, a hypo-empathic person means that empathy is not located in the magical individual of the empath. And so, yes, an untrained hyper-empathic person is generally hypersensitive to almost everything and may have trouble managing it, right? Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. because we don't understand empathy well. And because empathy is first and foremost an emotional skill, and we don't understand emotions very well, people who have this capacity are often left without any kind of a guidebook or support. And so a lot of people that you would see as hypoempathic, you would say that person is not empathic. A lot of times they are burnt out hyperempaths. They are just not open. Paul Bloom is a burnt out hyper empath. Yeah. They're not open for business. And with those kind of people, I'm just very aware of having very good boundaries, very little eye contact, and almost treat them. Have you ever been come upon a wild animal when you're out for a walk mm. and they immediately get like, are you going to kill me? And you, just calm down your whole being. So you're like, I am not threatening to you, my friend. And then the animal can re- relax. So that kind of thing, when I'm with burnt out hyperimpress, I just, I go to deer mode. <laughs> I go to deer in the forest mode and yeah. just calm my whole self down. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling and, and hearing, you know, like just a lot of empathy for, for the hyper, for, you know, for the hyper empaths in the I world. I have empathy for everybody. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Do we want to go maybe to the six aspects yeah. of empathy? Okay, let's do that. Now, most of these words are from the research itself. An emotion contagion is one that I changed in the workplace book because this is just too icky, but that is a research term. And I loaded, or loaded, I built the model from the ground up, though it starts from one and goes to six. Mm. So 
empathy can um, proceed or stop at any one of these steps. Mm -hmm. Emotion contagion, or we might also call it emotion recognition or emotion awareness, is where empathy starts. You understand that something is required, something has happened, some change, and that's where it begins. If you miss it, you're not going to be on the same page with another person. You're going to miss the signal. The second is empathic accuracy, which means you not only know that an emotion has occurred, you know which one it is. You have a sense of the emotions. And if you don't know what emotion it is, for instance, I frown when I'm thinking and I've had to grow my bangs because people always read me as angry. And so they're in a whole different world than the world I'm in. So I don't know if any of you have, like, I also have a lot of body movements. So people think I'm nervous. I'm not. So I know to suppress my body movements and make sure my bangs are nice and thick when I'm with normal people, <laughs> whoever they are. <laughs> okay, so you can read people wrong. This is especially true across cultures. You can read someone wrong who is from a different culture than yours, a different race, a different neurotype. Uh, neurotypicals read autistic people wrong all day long. It's a continual problem. So empathic accuracy can also be a place where you fall down. Um, and the emotional vocabulary list that I have for you will help you develop empathic accuracy for free. Uh, the third is crucial, which is emotion regulation. If you understand that emotion has occurred, you know which emotion it is. Do you have any practices for that emotion at all? You know, besides repression <laughs> or ignoring, <laughs> right? If you cannot regulate or you do not have a practice for the emotion that you experience in another, this is also where empathy can fall down. Because now you'll begin to, you know, go into your own trouble with the emotion because you and the emotion are not friends yet. Once you get past emotion regulation, it gets a little bit more cognitive. Perspective taking, which is the capacity to understand that the other person is different from you. And you wouldn't say to a person, oh, I know exactly how you feel. No, you don't. No, you don't. Um, so perspective taking is also the capacity to understand that person feels a great deal of anger right now which means we understand anger as, which means that they are uh, dealing with some boundary violation. So I am not feeling a great deal of anger right now. I, I feel this. It's to be able to maintain the distinction between the, the beings so you don't just enmesh. The fifth is concern for others. You have to care enough to, to make the next steps of perceptive engagement. But what if someone is having an emotion that you don't have a practice for and you've gone into a place of they're just wrong? Your concern for others will also fall down. <laughs> so there's so many places in the movement of empathy where it can all fall apart. And so when we're talking about people being hyper or hypoempathic, we are in step one, emotion contagion. Hyperempaths are bringing in a lot of emotion, maybe too much, and hypoempaths are not bringing in enough. And maybe there's a really good reason for that.
right? And that is where the 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 where everything starts is your capacity to understand and work with emotion. Um, and then the sixth is perceptive engagement. Of all these six um, phrases, this is mine. In the research, they call this consolation or targeted helping. But in many cases, as you know, sometimes the most empathic thing you can do is nothing. Mm. If a person is starting to cry and they immediately look down and they don't want anyone to see them, my dear, you did not see them. Look at that bird. Look, a squirrel outside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm -hmm. You read other people and see what they need. And a lot of times people don't need anything. If you had the idea that, that empathy is always a, a, an act, right? Mm -hmm. Then you'd be like, oh, I see that you're crying and crying is okay. Crying means this. Shut mm -hmm. up. <laughs> that is not what is needed right now. <laughs> so I think a lot of people, you know, they put on their rainbow empathy cape and they run around as an empathy superhero. I'm like, oh my gosh, can you stop? Can you stop and read the room, my friend? <laughs> so um, one of our students in dynamic emotional integration or DEI had a hard time with all the wor these words. She had a hard time reading them and remembering them. And is it emotion accuracy or perspective contagion? Or she was like, it was not working for her. So she made, oh, thank you. Megan put the emotional vocabulary list in the, um, the chat. She has a link to it. And this is a list that separates emotion words by emotion and also by intensity level of emotion. Oh, so and I just want to say, Carla has these great cards on her website. And there's a variety of things on her website. If you, it, like, I am very, very pro, however we can, of uh, providing or uh, educating our clients on emotional literacy. And, and, and there are tools that we can use. And Carla has some really nice, you know, tools on her website. So, sorry. What's, Thank you. What's your website name again? CarlaMcLaren.com. Okay, CarlaMcLaren.com. Okay. Um, one of the coolest things about vocabulary is there's a lot of research, especially by Lisa Feldman Barrett and her colleagues, mm -hmm. that suggests strongly that developing a better emotional vocabulary, which she calls emotional granularity, all by itself confers emotion regulation skills. So it's a two for one. You get more vocabulary and you suddenly become better with emotion. There's something magical about an, a granular and articulate emotional vocabulary. Um, like a lot of people say, how are you feeling today? Fine stressed, mm. bad, yeah. unhappy. Mm. Let's, let's, let's get like, are you feeling peevish? Are you feeling, you know, like, like, let's get some really good words in there. So that's what this list is for. And this was, I call it empathic crowdsourced. Yeah. I love that. I mean, so I just want to double down like this is like this, that this is important for us coaches, particularly um 
that we we have a way to navigate uh, it, uh, our internal experience using using language. You know, I, I am reading Brene Brown's book Atlas of the Heart, and she says in in over fifteen years she uh, asked seven thousand people to to uh, name all the emotions they could name, and they could on average people could name three: happy, sad, angry. And that's it. 7,000 people, 15 years could name three. And it's no, no wonder that we um, can be pulled by our emotions when we don't have a name for them. Yeah. Sorry, Carla. No, no apologies. That is awesome. Um, if you can't name something, you can't really easily understand or work with it. And so if you don't know that you're feeling something, then there's going to be a, a large part of yourself that is, um, that is obscured to you, to your view, yeah. that you won't know how to work with. Yeah. Um, to try something and it is on the, on the next slide. This is what Sandy Davis created when all those words got to be too much for her. And it's filled in because I wanted you to see the difference between them. But if you can, um, if you can draw a circle, grab a piece of paper and a pen and draw this circle, right? You don't have to put the words in. I'll tell you what they are. But it's hard to divide things in sixes, but mm. I will trust you to be able to... <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. I'm just thinking that myself as I'm drawing yeah, it's it. It's like, how it's do you out, do the a, third? It's an, it's an X and then a line through the X. Okay, yeah, an X with a straight line through the middle. All right. Yeah. So think of something, uh, an interaction that happened this week. Let's say uh, going to a store. This week, uh, people were able to take their masks off. I did not right? I did not do that. But going to a store was a whole, a whole nother level of thing. So um, if you have the first, if you have your um, uh, circle, the first one on the right hand side, that will be emotion contagion. How much emotion were you bringing in? It doesn't have to be the store. It can be something else that happened for you. So what I want you to do is pretend that the middle of the circle or where the, where the lines meet is zero mm -hmm. and the outside is a hundred. Mm -hmm. So in this situation, and you can just like kind of draw up what kind of emotion or, or, or social and human information were you taking in in this situation? What was your level of emotion contagion? How much of their emotional experience did I take on? Is that another yeah. way to say it? Okay. Or of everybody in the room. How much were you reading the room? Mm -hmm. And how much did I like feel it? How, how much was I kind of overtaken by it? Yeah. How much was I feeling it? So go from zero to a hundred. Okay. And you could, you could color it in or you could just make a little mark and you could say to yourself, okay. 62.5%. Okay. Or whatever it is for you. All right. Got it. Then going to the next one, empathic accuracy. How accurate do you think you were 
about the emotions that you were perceiving? Like, mm -hmm. Did you get a feel for the room? And that also would be from zero to 100. Were you 100% accurate? Or were you in the 30s? Mm -hmm. What? Mm -hmm. What was your empathic capacity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, you can color it in or you can just put a put a little mark and, and remind yourself of what percentage you thought that was. Okay. The third one, and you'll be down sort of at the bottom of the circle, is emotion regulation. How well did you regulate your own emotions? And how well did you regulate the emotion that you were feeling? Like, were, mm -hmm. were you able to do sense making with it? Were you able to take good mm. information from it? How How well did you do? How much or was it a lot of work? Mm. Like, did you have to do emotion regulation 100% so I don't start screaming or something like that? <laughs> and again, you can draw that or put a little mark and remind yourself of the percentage. Got a request to put the slide up. Thank you. So we just went from the blue emotion regulation. Now we're going to the purple perspective taking. How much were you able to see the perspectives of others? and maintain your own perspective how much were you able to maintain boundaries and and the capacity to empathize with the experience of the other and again you can draw or make a mark and then the pink pie slice, concern for others. This may not have been even a situation where you had concern for others, like, right, but, but what was your level of concern for others? What was your, was it overwhelming? Was it just right? Where was it in your, in your organism, in your empathic organism? And then finally, with perceptive engagement, were you able to perceptively engage within this social system or within this relationship or, or interaction in a way that you felt comfortable and appropriate and other people were, mm, they're feeling respected and, um, and cared for by you? And again, you can color that in and see. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to do this same thing with something you did not like. Yeah. Like when I, one of my favorite things in the world to do that I haven't been able to do during the pandemic is sing acapella harmony. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah. like, it is like the dream of my entire body. And when I do that, everything is at 100%. Every single aspect of empathy is at a hundred percent when I'm singing a cappella harmony. Um, um, but when I'm, I don't know, doing taxes, it's like I'm having empathy for numbers, but I'm not really enjoying myself. A lot of it's like turned down. Yeah. 
So just to watch where these aspects of empathy go and notice when your emotion contagion goes to 100, what happens to the rest of them? Do you have the support you need to bring in that much data? You know, I, I, for, did anyone else find this enlightening? I mean, I totally found this enlightening because like, I think, you know, empathy is normally like this lumped together as like one thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, I can really see that I can be, you know, you know, out at the edges in general on one thing and be like way close to center on another aspect. Um, and I see this in other people too. Like I like, so one of the questions that we got, thank you, Sarah. One of the questions we got is like how, uh, uh, how to make people care. <laughs> like they might get one, two, and, and maybe part of three, but do they like, do they care enough to get in, even get into four five and six? If they are not, working well in one, two, three, four, five, and six are like um, in, in the next room in a, in a locked, behind a locked door because their experience of the emotions of others is so overwhelming and destabilizing that it is very hard to have concern for others when, you know, what is my, what is my foundation? It is a person who's overwhelmed. Paul Bloom. Right. And so you would need to go to compassion if you have any kind of compassion practice. And sometimes you just need to do that. I'm not saying compassion is terrible, but it's not empathy and it's not something to use instead of empathy in all possible situations. It's like a skill. And if you look at perceptive engagement and concern for others, that's compassion. So I've made room for compassion in my model. It's there, but it's not the only thing. So the store, the store I'm making up that I'm wanting to check out with you is that if I had a client that I was working with who had, a, a, you know, employees that say she's just not empathic, she's just not, she's not empathetic. I don't think she cares, and and she, and she doesn't. You know, I'm coaching her, and she doesn't care. Yeah. But you know, she could. So if what I'm understanding how I might work with her is just literally consecutively around the wheel. Mm -hmm. Like start with empathy contain. What are you feeling? And how do you know? And how accurate are you? And like, how can you regulate? And then I don't know. So what's coming, let me just open it up more. What's coming up for you around how one would coach or teach someone to be empathetic who is not and doesn't care to be. I would say that would be a hands-off situation completely if you're working empathically. If someone says no, it's no. So there has to be consent. There has what to be about, consent. Like, what if like part of this, like they, they just don't get the value of it? And how, how do you approach someone who's like, I just don't see the value of it being empathetic? Given Paul Bloom's book then they can learn compassion, right? Sort of like, if they don't see the value, I'm not gonna, I'm not selling empathy on this on the street corner. I know that empathy can lead to a tremendous amount of pain, but I've chosen that. And I have the skills I need to manage it, but not everybody does. So if people are like, empathy is for punks, 
and punks and losers. And I'm like, I support you in your relationship to empathy right now. Uh, I'm so Carla, I'm so appreciating how, how, how you're talking about meeting the client where they are and, and accepting them and not making them wrong, even in this area of empathy, where I think maybe humans can tend to judge people who aren't empathetic and we think they should be. Oh, yeah. Lots of air quotes there. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. so appreciating how you're just meeting. We have a course starting an empathy academy uh, by two men who just um, who just were licensed, and it's called Welcome Home, and it's for the exiles of empathy. It's for men and boys. It's for women who, you know, women are supposed to be empathic, like coming out of the womb or something. The most of the talk about empathy has tremendous gender essentialism and sexism in it. Um, and so there, there are courses for everyone who's been exiled and is interested in being welcomed mm -hmm. into the world of empathy and emotions. I love that, Carla. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There's a question about the relationship of empathy and compassion. To some people, empathy can uh, activate pain in the nervous system, which is Paul Bloom, what he's saying. While the additional facet of compassion, feeling you're helping others in their suffering activates more strongly. Um, I don't want to say positive emotions because there aren't any positive emotions or negative emotions. Um, but it can activate a pathway of, you know, sort of feeling good about yourself or feeling or feeling more comfortable than empathy and that's why i say you know that's why i give people a hands off on empathy if they don't want to develop it because you're opening them up to a world of pain mm -hmm. right to truly be with people mm -hmm. what i say about empathy is this empathy means that i can be with you and feel any emotion at any level of activation and i will not leave you I will not exile you and I will not abandon you. Mm. And um, that almost never happens, right? Mm. As soon as I get to a really intense emotion, like a suicidal urge or rage or mm -hmm. um, intense shame, people are like, um, they want to, they want to pull me out of it. Yeah, right? To rescue themselves. Yeah. <laughs> because they don't have a, they don't have any kind of practice for that emotion. And so as a very intensely emotional person, I learned how to protect other people from what I was feeling, mm. right? How to pull back and realize, oh, I am overwhelming everybody in the room with this. So for me, empathy is a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael, I think I'm getting the name right. I can't see the whole thing. Says, can you touch on what practices you might suggest to help strengthen each of the essential aspects. Yes. Um, all of my books contain what I call the five empathic mindfulness practices. And I call them empathic mindfulness because they include emotions. Whereas many mindfulness practices take you up to the edge of an emotion and then help you watch it fade away just like let it go. And I was like, why would you let it go? It has genius in it. Let's bring it back. So the five practices are grounding, focusing, um, 
grounding and focusing are together. Um, learning how to set boundaries physically, uh, how to actually create appropriate space around your body that your body is already mapping in every moment, but just to become aware of it, to begin to know where you end and other people begin, especially if you are hyper empathic. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the most important things, there's also um, uh, practices called um, conscious complaining, which is awesome. Um, and uh, burning contracts, which is a way to work with your emotions to shift behaviors that you picked up somewhere. And the final one is rejuvenation, um, which helps you work with a number of emotions to remind yourself of um, beauty and ease and um, delight. Um, so it's like a continual working to, to become a, a river through which emotions can flow. Mm -hmm. So the emotions can flow as much as possible instead mm -hmm. of, for instance, every time you're angry, you go to 11, you go to rage. I would say that emotion is kind of stuck in a, in a feedback loop. And I would want to like move around. So what about peevishness? What about when you feel, you know, like mm -hmm. to, to create articulation within your emotional um, um, system? Beautiful. So with our time, I, I'm feeling like I'd like to, to focus on um, two, two things. One is around I, a, a many of the people in this world who do this, the work that, that we do collectively have, um, uh, are, have challenges with emotional boundaries. Uh, I'd love for you to, to talk about how someone both personally and professionally creates uh, boundaries. Boundaries are created by two emotions that most people have been taught to distrust, which are anger and shame. And anger sets boundaries uh, from the outside. So anger is about boundaries and values. The questions for anger are what do I value and what must be protected and restored? So when there are challenges to your self-image or to your value and your value to yourself and your values in the world, you should see anger come up to help you set a boundary again. Now, how you work with your anger is up to you, but that's the, the work of anger is to set a boundary. You can set a boundary violently. I wouldn't suggest it. You can set a boundary passively. I wouldn't suggest that either. Or you can learn to do what I call channeling the emotions, which is to help the emotions flow in the direction they are meaning to go by understanding what they're trying to do. Shame sets boundaries from the inside. So whenever you do anything that breaks the boundaries of your values and the things that you've agreed are important, shame should come up and say, hold the phone, pal. This is not where we want to go with this. Um, but the problem with shame and a problem with a huge amount of problem with our boundaries is mostly people have confused anger with violence and shame with abuse. So 
we don't have a good relationship with either of those emotions. So our boundaries tend to be very poor because the emotions that build them are not friends of ours. Right? Yeah. They've been used against us. Um, so, yeah. Oh, Natasha asked which one of my books I would recommend. If you want to go easy, this is an 88 page workbook called the Dynamic Emotional Integration Workbook. If you'd like to see how emotions work together, um, embracing anxiety, because this one is where I talk about, in the language of emotions, I talk about emotions one by one. Here's anger, here's sadness. That's not how they work. It's normal for emotions to come up in groups and clusters and pairs. That's hard to write about. So I did that in embracing anxiety. So just one more bit on, around this idea of boundaries. So I, I can see how, how someone who uh, has a, a healthy level of access to anger or shame might be able to create boundaries. My, my experience with people in helping work is that they can lose their boundary of someone else's emotion. They can be, and, and where anger and shame, like just there's, it's not about anger or shame because they didn't do it or it's not theirs, yeah. but they, they lose the boundary and become enmeshed in someone else's experience. How does someone, particularly in this work, not become exhausted, overwhelmed, enmeshed in the, in the term? potentially traumatic experiences of the people we serve. Yes. And that goes back to perspective taking aspect of empathy to be able to know the difference between yourself and the other person. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's the dynamic emotional integration workbook. That's my applied work is dynamic emotional integration or DEI. Um, and so a lot of times when people are hyper empathic, they will say to me, um, how can I stop feeling the emotions of others? And I was like, there's two questions there. <laughs> and I want to go to the one you didn't ask, which is why are emotions so terrible? So if I know how to work with emotions and someone's angry or panicky, I'm like, bring it. <laughs> I love that emotion. I can play in the world of emotions. Um, if someone is angry and they're being threatening, right? Then that's abuse and we're in a different place. But if someone's just feeling anger, I can go, yeah, let's, let's do something about justice and equality. You know, like let's, <laughs> let's set some boundaries and values. Let's do it. Um, but if I um, don't know anger, then when someone's angry with me, I'm, I'm going down. I've got no emotion regulation skills. Boom. I'm on the floor. I've, I've left the, Elvis has left the building because of someone else's anger. So, so that's the trick. That's the key is to develop a facility with all emotions. So the emotions of others will be normal to you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So just be like, emotions are normal, and you are feeling an intense one right now. 
the nice thing about working with people is a lot of times people will be drawn to you because of unfinished emotional issues in your own self that you were too cool for school and you did not know it <laughs> until that person came <laughs> and knocked you right back in the oh my god i don't know how to work with this emotion i do totally. not know. <laughs> oh that's why our clients are such good mirrors for our own work <laughs> yeah i love that i love it oh thank you i say thank you so much yes. what am I, i'm like what am i gonna do with it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I would sure like to make this your problem, but sadly, it is mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's um, allow time for questions, too. We've had, I've loved this conversation, Carla. Thank you so much. Who has comments, questions, anything that they want to explore, share, um, just whatever's coming up for you? Yes, Karen. You're on mute, hon. Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm just so enjoying this conversation and this edge about, I don't care, you know, these people that don't care. Carla, you've just given me a whole reframe on the Paul Bloom spectrum about people that don't care to put them in that frame and that's better for me i feel more settled and less less anxious or less dissatisfied yeah. I, so, I hear you being more empathetic yeah. <laughs> imagine that thank you. thank you this is so rich i you know, there's a lot to digest, but thank you both for the conversation and everybody. Thank you, Karen. <clears throat> I say in one of my books, it's not empathic to exile people. Will you say that again, Carla? I, I didn't hear. I didn't hear it. Um, it's not empathic to exile people from empathy. Yeah, right. Like I want a big tent empathy. Yeah. Everybody. We're an empathic species. There's no such thing as an unempathic person unless they're dead. And yeah. some people have opinions about that too. <laughs> but, <laughs> we're, we're all empathic. Even people with the more severe empathy delays or deficits like sociopathy or psychopathy, uh, there's still empathy there. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes totally. they just don't feel like it. Yeah. 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 Tom, question? Yes. Um, this is a very interesting discussion. Thank you. Um, I have, I'm the oldest of eight son, eight brothers. Oh, wow. And um, many engineering types in our family. I'm not one of the engineering types. And one of my bro brothers uh, said to me one day, we were working together in a company. Uh, we were having this intense argument about responsibility of doing stuff. And he's sitting there like this. He says, Tom, you shouldn't wear your emotions so much on your sleeve. And I, said, <laughs> and I laid something into him. But how, do you, how do you work with this idea of empathy with your family versus non-family? Is there a difference? Yes. And 
one of our colleagues, Marion Langford, calls it stealth empathy. <laughs> <laughs> so empathy underneath the, the level. We've got um, in the emotional vocabulary list I gave you, I don't have, um, there are what we're calling nonspecific emotion words that people use. A lot of times people say, if I develop this massive emotional vocabulary and nobody else wants to hear it, right? They don't want to hear about emotions. How do I even have relationships? And I used to say, well, I had a terrible, you know, you take responsibility for it answer when I was younger, but then I grew up. And I realized we have vocabulary that can help you speak to an emotion that's in the room without unnecessarily um, um, exposing the person who isn't comfortable. So you might say, well, that might make me feel kind of bad, right? You're using really, you know, preschool level emotion words, <clears throat> but to at least put the, the, the situation in the room, what I've found if I go way back you know, like I'm not even, I don't even know what family we're in. I'm just saying that would make me feel kind of bad. I will find that people say yes and angry. Like they will do it themselves because I'm not pushing at them. Um, I, I use a lot of seams. I use a lot of very careful boundary respecting language. Like, I don't know. Like I'm making myself wrong. I don't know. It seems like you might be feeling, and then I just drop a really simple word in and leave uh -huh. it there. And then people say, you know what? No, I'm feeling this. And it helps them develop their own emotional vocabulary and their own emotional awareness. If I just drop it into the room, right? That's great. Thank you. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm seeing some uh, recommendations for Marshall Rogan, Ro Rosenberg's work on NBC, which is awesome. We're going to need to come bring it to an end. I, uh, I've just, this conversation has just flown. If you, you heard about the uh, Carlos DEI workbook, yes, and embracing anxiety, yes. And these are uh, here in another couple of books. The Art of Empathy, um, and I'm reading The Power of Emotions at Work. This is at my entry point into Carlos' work, and uh, and really, really loving and appreciating. She's talking about empathy in an environmental way that I haven't heard, and, and as you all know, I've read a lot about emotions and emotions in the workplace. She's talking about it in a way I don't hear anyone else talk about, so just plug for plug for that book. If you'd like to uh, stay in touch or get in contact with Carla, here is her contact information on the socials. And, and her website isn't on here, but it's carlamclaren.com. As you all know, we do um, EQ certification training. We've done that for a long time. If you'd like to learn more, get 40 Count them, 40 ICF CCEUs um, if you're interested. And Megan will put that link in the in the chat box as well. And with that, uh, Megan can launch the poll. Thank you so much for joining us.